Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 365 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, this is Adam, just by myself today. Uh, today's episode is an interview I did with Sarah Gailey back at the American Library Association conferences in Washington, D.C. earlier this summer. Sarah is the wonderful author of uh, Magic for Liars, which is a kind of noir, dark, gritty, um, murdery book about uh, a kind of a mystery that happens at a magical school. Uh, The main character is a private investigator who doesn't have magic, but uh, her sister does, and her sister works at the school. And uh, there's just a lot of complicated questions asked about how we think about magic and what magic does to your body and how much control you have over your own body and just all sorts of really great questions. Uh, Sarah was a lot of fun to speak with. They take a lot of pride in their writing about Uh, really asking unique questions that I don't think a lot of us ask too frequently. Um, We had a long conversation both before and after we recorded, uh, and it was just uh, a lot of fun. Again, the way that uh, they approach writing about magic is really, really unique, and it is a cool spin on a lot of tropes that we're familiar with by turning it into a noir-style book. Um, So I, I think you'll... You'll really enjoy it if you're a fan of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, you'll really like both this conversation and the book that actually came up uh, in our conversation. So uh, take a listen. I think you'll enjoy that. Um, wanted to say hello to any new listeners that we have. Uh, over the over the weekend, we did a an Instagram giveaway, uh, and we also did a a couple of uh, Twitter things that have been sort of buzzy lately and got a, a bunch of new followers on both of there. So uh, if you are just checking us out, uh, again, this is episode 365, so technically you got an episode you could listen to every day of the year if you'd like. Um, just as a reminder for people, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find all of our episodes there. In fact, uh, at the top is a search bar, and if you're relatively new or haven't been listening to us the whole time, that's perfectly okay. And if you want to just see if we've interviewed some of your favorite authors, just go to the search bar on our website and search in your favorite authors. Uh, you can also search for specific genres. Um, or just uh, types of books, things like that. Uh, and then any episode that uh, aligns with what you're searching for will we'll pop right up there so you can listen to our entire backlog kind of at your leisure. A lot of these books are obviously very evergreen. So um, yeah, there's nothing. That's what's nice about books is even if you discover a book three or four years after it came out, it's still wonderful and, and just waiting for you to, to enjoy. So if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, we do love it if you go into iTunes and give us a, a quick five-star rating and uh, write a you know a sentence review. Just takes a minute or two, and it really does make all of our podcaster days, and uh, it also makes it a little bit easier for people to find us. Um, I mentioned Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at ProBookNerds on both of those. Um, I think that's just about all the housekeeping I've got for you. Uh, if you're listening to this on Monday, sorry for the slight delay in the release of it. Uh, had some 
house issues I had to deal with. Our garage broke over the weekend and didn't want to open, so just a slight delay on this. But um, yeah, I think that's about everything. Again, Sarah Gailey is just uh, a great person to chat with, and their writing is wonderful. So Magic for Liars, if you haven't read it yet, definitely go check it out. And I will let you get to the conversation I had with Sarah on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. everybody, it's Adam. I'm still hanging out here at the American Library Association Annual Conference, and I'm extremely excited to be sitting with Sarah Gailey, who's, Hugo, who's a Hugo Award-winning author who has been internationally published for both their fiction and nonfiction. Sarah regularly contributes to Tor.com and Barnes & Noble, and their adult debut novel, Magic for Liars, is available now. It's getting buzz all over, and it's because it's wonderful. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So, I love starting conversations by having the author talk about the book because especially when it's one like this I don't want to give away too much of the plot so I'm gonna let you kind of give an intro to Magic for Liars. Okay that works for me. Um, Magic for Liars is the story of a non-magical private detective named Ivy Gamble. She is fine with not having magic powers. She's fine with it. She doesn't want them. She never wanted them. It's fine. She doesn't (laughs) want them and it's fine and she's fine and everything's fine. Um, She is estranged from her twin sister Tabitha who does have magical powers for about a decade until one day a client walks into her office and offers her the job of a lifetime solving a murder of a faculty member at a high school for magical teens. Uh, The only problem is that's the high school where her estranged twin sister happens to work. Um, It's very much about class and identity and trauma and sisterhood and power and the lies we tell ourselves to get through the day. it's, I, I told you before I started recording, it is so good. I love it so, so much. And something that I love that you did is you took this noir, magical world, and you use it to talk about things that are actually really serious, like depression and the, you know having like autonomy over like your own body and all these different things. Like, do you think that using a magical setting kind of lets you talk about more serious subjects like that a little bit more easily as an author? Absolutely. Um, I think that a fantastical setting kind of primes your audience's ability to understand a situation that might not be familiar to them, Mm -hmm. right? So like if I'm writing a fantasy world where people have magic powers, my reader goes into the book with the expectation that they're going to suspend their disbelief Mm -hmm. and that's okay. And so they're like, okay, great. Fantasy world, I'm on board. And I think that that makes it easier to ask your audience to understand complex emotional situations and difficult, uh, I'm going to use the word situations too much, Um, difficult situations that they might otherwise bounce off of because they're like, oh, this isn't like anything I've encountered, so I'm not interested in it. Um, Talking about, especially about bodily autonomy, you know, that's something that we as a society and culture are discussing a lot right now. Mm And there are some people who really struggle with that conversation, mm-hmm. but when you put it in a fantasy setting, they're able to onboard a little easier into yeah. an idea like that. Well, and not only, like, it, it's so interesting to me because when I was reading the book and I realized, you know, at the end, I'm like, I'm giving it away, but there's these conversations about, like, holy shit, this is what this 
human did to this other person's body. And then I started thinking about all these magical books I've read growing up, like even like the Harry Potter books and everything. I think I saw like maybe you did an interview or something. We talk about like there's things that happen in these books that shouldn't be okay, and they just get like it kind of gets rolls off. Like no one really thinks about it, and like it's like a light bulb went off, and I was like, oh my god, that is really wrong that should be discussed that's interesting yeah there's this big theme in magic where you know the idea of having magic is exciting because it gives you abilities that you don't have now mm -hmm. which everybody kind of wants right everybody's like oh what if i could do more things than i currently can and just like with any vector of power and privilege there are some people who want that power for personal reasons there are some people who want the power so they can do good in the world and there's some people who want that power so they can use it against other people the thing that um, I think you're referring to is I did um, I, an interview or a, an essay that I wrote where I talked about the leg locker curse, yeah. which is introduced early on in Harry Potter, right? These preteens use it against each other and it locks another person's legs together straight out and together and then they fall down and they can't get up again because their legs are paralyzed. Right. The thing is, being paralyzed at all is scary. Being paralyzed completely against your will is terrifying and it leaves a person incredibly vulnerable yeah. um the the idea of being immobilized is presented in harry potter as kind of a benign combat move yeah. because it just immobilizes the person so they can't hurt you but that kind of like glides over the fact that if someone can immobilize you you can't defend yourself against them and that's traumatizing being put against your will into an incredibly vulnerable position is by itself mm -hmm. traumatic. And speaking of magic and the ways that it is used, I'm curious how you decided to come up sort of with your rules of magic for this because it's very, I'm assuming you have a scientific background of some kind or did you just do lots of research? So like the, the way you have the, the, it's fantasy and it's magic, but it's, Sci there's like science behind it the way that things work like I'm assuming you did a lot of research on that I actually didn't um, I just kind of wrote about magic the way that I think about it uh -huh. and the way that I think about the world in general yeah. um, I don't have a scientific background but I am a very curious person mm -hmm. and so I I have a lot of little bits and pieces of knowledge about you know totally unrelated stuff yeah and I love bringing that into my work to help ground the things I'm inventing uh -huh. um, in the magic system for magic for liars I wanted to make it as inaccessible as possible uh -huh. because the book is told from the perspective of Ivy Gamble who doesn't have magic powers and in this world magic is intrinsic it's mm -hmm. something that you just have or you don't yeah. it's not a bloodline thing because that's all racism it's mm -hmm. not something that you can buy or something that you can learn if you work hard enough it's just something you have or you don't yeah. and Ivy spends the entire book thinking maybe if she just pushes a little farther into the world of magic and into the lie that she's telling people that she is magic, yeah. um, maybe then she can understand it. And so I wanted the reader to feel immersed in a sense of the inability to fully get it. Yeah, because there, there is there's a part like right at the beginning of the book where she's just like staring at a light bulb and like trying to get it to turn on and she thinks she does and doesn't really understand. Yeah, it, I... I do love just the way that you, something I really love is you built this world really, really quickly. Like you learn about a lot of this stuff and then it slowly peels itself back more throughout the book. But I like that you created this world and there's this one part in here about a prophecy and I won't talk about it, but there's this prophecy 
and I, it made me laugh because like on its face if someone gave you like a general idea about this book you'd be like oh the prophecy is the main thing and it's just so it's not even like secondary it's like tertiary to the story but I love that it's like this like telling this you just keep you created this world so quickly then you just well let's just use the plot and I like that you kind of don't hold the reader's hand it's like figure out the world you'll be fine yeah well I mean it's this book relies a lot on uh, our contemporary like familiarity with certain fantasy tropes uh-huh. and the chosen one is I mean it's one of the first fantasy tropes right it's, it's one of the biggest ones it's the idea that this prophecy says you are the most important guy mm-hmm. you're the most important now and forever and that's settled um, but this book also it's it's very American mm-hmm. in that it's very much about trying to choose and establish your own identity which doesn't really jive with the anglophilic prophecy narrative that says you know a sword gets handed to you and congratulations you're the one yeah the end um and there's a conflict there yeah and that's what i want my reader to be engaging with is that that sense of conflict because they'll go oh the chosen one i know what that means okay and then i want my reader to realize that over the course of this book actually there's no such thing as being chosen there's Mm -hmm. only what you choose yeah and it, it kind of reminded me, there's a book by Patrick Ness called The Rest of Us Just Live Here. I love that book. Right? I love that book so much. It's a huge influence of mine and, in everything I write. And that's the thing is that for people who don't know, and I'm, I feel like I've talked about this book over the years a lot, but like, it's the story where there's this insanely uh, massive thing going on in the world. There's superheroes and there's all these things going on. But the story is about these kids just trying to survive high school and just graduate yeah. and it's like and they do these little things where they touch on in the background like they'll have like the chapter titles are these absurdly long titles that say like here's what's going on in the world outside of this and then you go right back to the actual story that you're listening like the, the reason that I love that and I love your story so much is that you can create a world and then you can tell a million stories in that world and I love that you put this massive prophecy but like that's not the story I want to tell because everyone has a story no matter who they are and that's why I love like looking at it through the lens of Ivy so much because she's not a part of this world even though she kind of wants to be even though she's totally fine with not being like, <laughs> but but I just I love that you picked the story of someone who isn't the, the one who's supposed to do something great. I love secondary characters yeah because all of us are secondary characters in the lives of everyone around us mm-hmm. right like I'm a I'm a protagonist of my own life yeah but I'm not the main character in your life right except for right now during this podcast uh-huh um, and so we all have stories, we all have our own stories, and we all think that our own stories are the most important. Mm-hmm. The idea that one story actually is the most important is like an inherently authoritarian fascist narrative, right? Yeah. That says, oh, that guy is the one who's important and everyone else is expendable. Yeah. Um, the prophecy narrative is very important to the people it's happening to. Mm-hmm. And it it's not important to the people who aren't right up against them in their story. Yeah. Um, and the same thing is true of Ivy, right? With Ivy, she's investigating this murder. She's mm-hmm. trying to rekindle a relationship with her sister. Yeah. Those things are the most important thing in the world to her. Mm-hmm. But to the people who are involved in this prophecy, they're like, wait, what does this have to do with me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They are not interested at all in this, what's going on with this person who may be the private investigator, maybe the cop, and they're not really entirely sure. It makes me... I, I just... There's so much of it, and the, the noir part I want to focus on for a second. So, have you always been a, a fan of that type of story? Because I feel like that's one of the hardest types of stories to tell properly. Like, there's your book, and then there's um, This Body's Not Big Enough for the Two of Us by Edgar Cantero. And those are, like, the two that I can think of 
that are like do it well have you always wow. been a noir that's high fan? praise <laughs> um i've always loved noir mm-hmm. i i love film noir more than i love literary noir yeah. i think it's better suited to film mm-hmm. because film is so atmospheric it's and visual, yeah. it can get stifling in a book uh-huh. um you need a break right you need you need time to breathe but noir relies in film on not giving you time to breathe right. um I've loved noir ever since I first watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Obviously, I, I was going to bring it up if you didn't. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that like on this, I've been on book tour for a month, and everyone asks me like, "What are your noir influences?" And I'm always like, "It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit," like yeah. because that summarizes everything, right? Who Framed Roger Rabbit is about a mystery, is about a murder, but it's also about corruption. It's about marginalization. It's about um, the the people who get pushed into being secondary characters it's about the people who we perceive to be less than us and how people in power exploit them and it's also like got every perfect trope Mm -hmm. unpacked right you've got jessica rabbit asexual icon who is like this like sexed up glamazon who just loves this rabbit because he makes her laugh Mm -hmm. and who isn't bad she's just drawn that way yeah and who doesn't want to be the person who she is but she's stuck there because of the world uh-huh. she lives in um i i love olive noir but that will always actually be my favorite yeah. oh well and it also they do such a good job of like it's gritty and it's dingy and like that's and you because now the one thing about you're right with books like it's hard to create a setting in someone's mind you're like well it's, you can build it out the way you want but it's hard to be like Here's how you should think of something as like gringy and like grindy. Yeah. But it's it is it's such an important part of the whole environment that you're creating. Even with short noir short noir fiction. Yeah. I find myself wanting something to cut it right. It's like when you're eating a really um, like a really heavy meal and you want something bright and acidic uh-huh. to give you a, a rest yeah. for your palate. Um, and I think that's part of why noir works well in Magic for Liars because mm-hmm. it's also magical school fantasy, which I don't know if you remember the first three Harry Potter movies have this tone of like awe uh-huh. and beauty and like it's everything is very sparkling and every one of those movies has a scene where someone who lives in the magical world all the time walks into a magical setting and looks around them like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah. And I think that's the exact opposite of noir, where, you know, noir, you've got someone walks into a smoky nightclub and looks around and is like, oh my god, all of this is seamy Uh and terrible. And I feel like the marriage of those two things makes them both more palatable to Mm -hmm. me because there's there's more space for nuance, there's more space for complexity, and there's every time the noir gets to be too much you can take a little a little breath of magic and every time the magic is like wait a minute this seems too good to be true noir is there to be like uh-huh it is i was just yeah i was just thinking about like first off the harry potter my favorite line of any of the harry potter movies and it's not even from the books it's when they go to the quidditch world cup and harry looks at the tent like, what are we doing here? And he walks in, and the tent is gigantic. And he just looks around and just goes, "I love magic." And it like, <laughs> it like literally gives me chills every single time. My wife and I will be watching, and she's like, "Man, that is a perfect." Line. It's not in the books. It's a great line, yeah. though. This, I feel like the, we're, I, I'm happy to go down this rabbit hole. I feel like sure. the, the later Harry Potter movies understood the complexity of the books better than the first few did which yeah. I understand the first few were like this is for a young audience this needs to be very commercial it's the onboarding yeah but 
that and there's an interaction that Harry has with Hermione in one of the movies where she's like, you're being an idiot. Like, do you think you're special? And he goes, well, I am the chosen one. Yeah, exactly. And hits her and hits him on the head or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's him being, you know, kind of a piece of shit, but also being like, isn't this ridiculous how this is all happening? Um, I really love those moments. Uh I love those moments where characters are self-aware without being uh, cynical. Uh I I just, and I feel like those, like, they're problems aside, there are issues with Harry Potter, there's, like, there's issues with everything else, but I think one of the major reasons that it will always endure is because, well, first off, like, our generation, I'm guessing we're about the same age, literally grew up with them. Yeah, and absolutely. And because there's so many, there's, you know, there's seven books, they literally grow, like, you grow up throughout them, so you have the ability to kind of read them all, and I just feel like they're always going to be that way, but... No, they they aged with the audience, yeah. and I mean, I think that it it's frankly obtuse to pretend that all contemporary young adult fantasy all current magical school fantasy most fantasy period is not in conversation with harry potter because i mean harry potter changed the face of publishing Mm -hmm. it changed the face of young adult it changed the face of fantasy it changed the face of literature Mm -hmm. well when i think you do something in the very beginning there's like one line in the beginning near the beginning of this when um ivy someone says something about oh it's when they're like out of there there's a meal for the students at the beginning. Yeah, the welcome back piece. Yeah, and it, they, I like that you just kind of address there's something about, like, they're expecting to get pumpkin juice or something. Like you, like, you acknowledge that that's a real thing, and I feel like that's the best way to do it is, like, say, like, yes, I, we all know you're reading a book that has the word magic in the title, and yes, it's about kids at a school, elephant in the room, <laughs> there she is, let's move on with it. Like, yeah. It, it makes sense to put that in there. I put a couple of moments like yeah. that in there where it's kind of acknowledging that even the characters in the book come to this magical school mm-hmm. and they expect it to be Hogwarts, right? Um, Ivy Gamble shows up at the school and it's a typical high school. It's got shitty linoleum, it's got big gray <laughs> trash cans, it's got graffiti, uh-huh. and the headmaster the headmaster is like, yeah, you expected moving staircases, right? Yeah. And it, I, again, like, I don't, we don't need to pretend that Harry Potter doesn't exist. Yeah. We all know that it exists and we all know that it's probably the reason why my book exists. Yeah. I wouldn't be thinking about magical school narratives yeah. and what the gaps are in them mm-hmm. if they didn't exist so yeah. thoroughly already. I mean, it's the reason that I work at a book company. I mean, I have Harry Potter tattoos on my arm. Like, I, it's a part. I remember my um, my mom actually told me that when I was really young. This is way sidetracking, but um, I was uh, ten years old, and my best friends dad uh, passed away we were both in the room and like had a stroke it was like one of the like, really traumatic oh my things God, where, like, I'm so sorry yeah it was, it was like one of those things where, like I can remember the day it happened and then I don't remember like months at a time after it my mom told me she's like yeah the first thing that like got you out of like a funk was like I gave you the first Harry Potter book again and you just like fell back into it and I was like oh it's literally like the re- I and it's so so I agree like just accepting like yeah it's I know it's going to be the biggest books in my lifetime and that's okay yeah um speaking of books that have or series that have more stories than one in a world there is stuff in here like the prophecy and everything is there potential to do more stories in this world are you allowed to talk about that i'm never gonna say never okay um i currently don't have any plans for more exploration of this world Mm -hmm. i feel like i've said the things i want to say that said you know how there's writers who are like fan fiction is disrespectful of my canon and I've said everything that needs to be said and don't write it because mm-hmm. it's wrong to do that. I'm not one of those. Yeah. And anyone who's listening to this, 
I beg of you, write fan fiction. There's a particular makeout scene that I really would love to see expanded on. <laughs> and so write the fan fiction, tag me in it. Um, I encourage that because I, I built this world big enough for a lot of people to play in it. That's my favorite. That's my favorite comment anyone's ever said. It's like, no, 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 take my, take my world and build it out. That's amazing. Yeah. I bet Rainbow Rowell will do it. Rainbow uh, loves herself some fan fiction. I, w- I would actually physically die. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. Um, okay, so from like a writing and a craft type of a, a stance, like what would you look back and tell yourself like at zero draft like now that you know and like obviously you have published works before this but having this be like your adult debut novel what would you go back and tell yourself during that zero draft um gosh I mean on the one hand I want to say I wouldn't I wouldn't tell myself anything because I wouldn't want to give it away it's it's all been an incredible journey Mm -hmm. um I couldn't have predicted any of how this has gone. It's yeah. been amazing. And not seeing it coming has been part of that joy. Mm-hmm. That said, I would say brace... I would, if I could go back in time, I would just say brace yourself for the edits. Uh-huh. Because they're, they're going to be worth it, mm-hmm. but tough. Um, and I would say don't hold back. Yeah. Because that was one of my biggest edit notes for my editor was you're holding back. Mm-hmm. And... You know, when she first said that, I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm doing the best that I can. I did everything that I could. And looking back, I was holding back so much. I was so afraid to ask my readers mm-hmm. to trust me. Yeah. And I was so afraid to ask my readers to dislike anything. Yeah. And once I got over that fear and I made the book less um, tentative mm-hmm. in the prose and in the storyline and in yeah. the characterization... It got leaps and bounds better. Do you think, when you say holding back, like, do you mean with the situations you put the characters in, or the way that you have them be represented on the page? Like, what do you think you were holding back? Um, I mean, all of it. Okay. I, <laughs> the first edit that I did on this book, I rewrote the whole thing top to bottom with a different voice and themes. Oh my god! And I made it all much darker and uh, less safe feeling Mm -hmm. and I made Ivy Gamble less cute Mm -hmm. and less funny she (laughs) you know in the first draft I was unconsciously trying really hard to make the reader like her because there's a lot of myself in there and I gotta say like a lot of the reviews of this book are like Ivy Gamble is an unlikable character but I like the book anyway and I'm like well the things that the readers don't like about her are the things that I don't like about myself um and I was really scared of that, which yeah. is silly in hindsight, because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you don't need to like everything about a character. Yeah, and also, I think it, what shines through is, like, those those parts are probably hardest for you to write are probably the parts that are the most powerful yeah. in the book. I think they're relatable. Yeah. I think I think that's why people don't like Ivy. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people see things about her that mm-hmm. they don't like in themselves the same way I do. Like, yeah. Like, our tendency to pretend that everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And our tendency to lean on coping mechanisms. And our tendency to let a little lie get away from us uh-huh. um, without warning. Yeah, so I I'm, think that people see that yeah. and don't like it uh-huh. and don't want to think about it. I'm, and I think that's okay. I'm laughing about the coping mechanisms because before we started recording, we were joking about what my evening was like last <laughs> night. Where I, was, I felt like I had all the coping mechanisms that Ivy had and it was like making me laugh. Um, okay, so if you could take 
a secondary character from someone else's book and write their story, who would it be? Oh, man. Oh, man. I didn't even... I just was... Th- I, that's what I've been thinking about this whole time. I was like, wow. who would Sarah Gailey write? I don't want to lean... I don't want to... I have a thought on who I think you're going to say, but I don't want to say it until you say it. Okay. Um... I mean, I could cheat and say Petunia Dursley because I just wrote that book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could cheat and do yeah, that. No. That's fine. But I, I think um, any, literally any secondary character from Philip Pullman's Golden Compass series, any secondary character I would like in any of those books. five hours yeah. about those books with you. Because, I mean, the world building is mm-hmm. amazing. Right? I would, I would love to see a whole like 85 book compendium about the like non-elephant elephant creatures yes oh my god they're so not only that he spends the whole first book building this whole world and then the whole second book just the second and third book space and be like we're not gonna go in that world again yeah so like, i hope you oh, enjoyed hey, i built that whole world uh now i'm gonna build a universe in the rear view <laughs> Jesus, god, ridiculous um, okay so at the end of our episodes we do the nerd nine so nine lighthearted questions yeah i like alliteration so that's uh, so the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading? Um, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is a YA book yeah. where the son of the President of the United States is enemies with the Prince of England, yeah. and the paparazzi catch them in a fight, and so they have to pretend to be friends to fix yeah. international relations, and they find out they're in love. Uh, well, yeah, that book it's, is getting so much buzz. It's amazing, and it like it like interrogates empire. Mm-hmm. There's this line where the um, the the first son's sister yeah. turns to him and says, you know the United States is a genocidal empire too, right? And I just like, yeah, there's, so there's yeah. a line in there about someone speaking in and defacing a certain person's uh, name placard on their door to make it say Bitch McConnell. And I live for this book. It's beautiful. It's heartwarming. I cried my eyes out at the end. It's wonderful. Uh, what's your favorite place to read? My favorite place to read is in this big red and white twill armchair that I inherited from my grandmother. Um, it has a matching ottoman that my dog Tinkerbell just barely fits on. <laughs> She's a pit bull and she'll scrunch herself up all tiny so she can be on the ottoman while I'm reading there. Uh, what's, do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading as a kid? Yes, uh, Mike Mulligan and His Steam Shovel which is the book that made me learn to read. Uh-huh. I was three years old, and I was so upset because my whole family was sick of reading me Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel, um, which I recognize now as a cautionary tale about uh, unionization and, and skilled trade workers. But I was so mad none of them would read it to me, and finally my sister was like, why don't you read it to yourself? Yeah. And I threw a legendary tantrum <laughs> about how I couldn't read, and then my mom goes, do you want to learn to read? And I was like, yeah. And that was it. That's so awesome. Um, what's some place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Oh. I know it's a bad question for someone who's just finished a 13 <laughs> I know, because right now I'm like, I just want to travel to my bed. Um, I... I would really love to go to Italy. I've never been to Italy. I've never been anywhere near Italy. And I, maybe this is just me being hungry speaking, uh-huh. but I just, I want to go. I want to eat all the regional cuisine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Just kind of figure as much. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? I, ooh, okay. 
I love <laughs> Friendsgiving. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I hate Thanksgiving because, again, genocidal exactly. empire. Yep. Um, Thanksgiving is a trash holiday, and I hate it. Uh-huh. Um, and I struggle with the, like, traditional food aspect because sure. I don't really like a lot of Thanksgiving food, and I find eating the same thing over and over again boring. But Friendsgiving, yeah. I can get together with my friends, and we can try different stuff and just... Spend a day recognizing how lucky we are to have each other, and I love that. Also, as a vegetarian, it's rough on me for doing. Yeah. You know. Um, Remind me to give you my French onion gravy recipe, which is a vegan gravy. Okay. um, Favorite food? Of all time? (laughs) Sure. Or of now? Okay. Um, Oh my god, my brain just emptied. You're gonna hate. You know what? Mango. Mango. Oh. Yeah, fucking so love mango. And then if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Right now, I gotta say my partner because I haven't seen them for a month and I miss them very much. Um, but if aside from them, if they like, you know, are not an option, um, Octavia Butler. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading Magic Flyers? That nothing is as simple as it seems oh. in a narrative. Um, that the stories we tell ourselves about our lives we construct to make our lives easier to digest and that if we step outside those narratives and look at things a little more carefully everything is more complicated than it seems and there's room for us to be fucked up, broken, complicated people and the protagonists of our own stories. Sarah, that is perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I had such a great time. This was awesome. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. 